The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll get started with our material today. Um, Lord Jesus, we love you. Lord, we thank you for uh, this morning. Thank you, Lord, that um, we wake up and the sun is shining. Um, we have this beautiful, beautiful weather here these last couple of weeks. Lord, I, I pray that our conversation today um, would be helpful to those who sit in this room, including myself, um, that it would be honoring and glorifying to you, and that you would use it to strengthen marriages and to strengthen future marriages that sit here uh, in this room. It's in your mighty and holy name we pray. Amen. Uh, I haven't been able to listen to Neil's audio yet. Has Did he talk about being a student of your spouse last week at all? Not a student. He talked about spouse being a gift, right? Being a gift from God as part of like that sanctification process. He talked about that. Okay. I want to touch really quickly on um, being a student of your spouse before we get into the, our section on communication. So today, mainly, we're going to be talking about communication, fighting, and, and forgiveness. How do we communicate well? And then what do we do when we don't communicate well? Before I do that, though, I want to say... Um, Become a student of your spouse. So what does your spouse struggle with? What are the sins that your spouse struggles with? And then how are you going to help him or her fight those sins? What do they like doing? What do they not like doing? Do they like going up into the mountains? Um, It could be that they like going camping. You don't necessarily so much like going camping. You should know that about one another. It isn't a reason not to get married, but... You should know that about one another and then appreciate that they like doing those things and find times to go into the mountain and find times to stay home if you don't like doing that. I I actually got the right page this time, Um, so I'm going to read a quote from from Tim Keller's uh, Meaning of Marriage. So he's he's got a quote from Stanley Hauerwas here. I don't think I read this in the week one, but he's got a quote from Stanley Hauerwas who used to be at the... Uh, Duke Divinity School, he used to be a professor there, says, uh, we never know whom we marry, we just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while and he or she will change. For marriage, being the enormous thing that it is, means we are not the same person after we've entered it. The primary problem is learning how to love and care for the stranger whom you find yourself married to. So, Become a student of your spouse. That's the way that you learn. Appreciate the differences that you have. Appreciate the things that that person likes doing. And, again, um, understand what they struggle with. What are their sin patterns? What are, the, what are the idols that they carry in their life? What are the things that they place in the place of God? And how are you going to help them fight them? A lot of times as a spouse, we just go, man, I really hate what she struggles with. Or I really hate what... Uh, what he struggles with. And that isn't, uh, I want to challenge you, that isn't how you should look at it. You should look at it as, how am I going to come alongside him or her? And how am I going to help them through that? How am I going to point them back towards the cross, which is the thing that they should be looking at to pull away from that idol, right? That's the cross, and Jesus is the thing that changes us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians uh, 4, we all beholding the glory of the Lord are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. 
So the way that we change is by seeing who Jesus is as opposed to what that idol is that we're holding on to. And our spouse comes alongside of us the same way a community comes alongside of us and points us back towards that cross. So become a student of your spouse. Know what they struggle with. Know what they sin. Know how, or sorry, how they sin. Um, appreciate differences. Um, I, I might say this too. Uh, for men in the room especially, keep a journal of what she likes. Keep a journal of date ideas. Um, that's always, that's helped me. If you use, uh, what is the, uh, it's not Keynote. What is the, there's a Evernote. Evernote, thank you, yeah. Uh, so I just keep a, I keep a list, like just a running list of date ideas, a running list of present ideas for my wife. Um, and I say men especially because I feel like, and ladies, you can disagree with me if you want, men are worse at this than ladies. I think we're, we're worse at remembering these things. We're worse at recalling in a moment what we should be doing or like a date idea. I can think of a thousand date ideas when I'm not thinking about a date. And then when it comes time to date, my wife goes, what do you want to do? I'm like, I don't know. What, what do you want to do? I don't know. I don't care. I don't care. Really, it's not I don't care. It's just I can't think of anything in the moment. So keep a, keep a journal. Uh, keep something going where you can recall it. I keep in there, my wife likes angel food cake. Because I can't remember what kind of cakes to get her when it comes time to, to get her something like that, or what kind of flowers she likes. So that's that. Uh, let's move on to let's move on to communication. So what are some ways, uh, what are some ways that we communicate selfishly or poorly? <clears throat> Okay. Okay. So you're kind of you're communicating uh, in the moment, just as you're rushing through life stuff. Okay. 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 What else? Matt. Communicating with like polemics of like you're this way, I'm this way. I'm black. Okay. Recognizing the gray. So almost putting a divide between us. Yeah. Is that okay? I care, you do, you do not. Okay, okay, okay. What else? Think about think about ways that people have communicated poorly with you or the ways that you've done that to other people. What are you trying to do when you communicate selfishly? Manipulating. What else? I might even ask this, Michael Aaron. Let's go back even a step further. Why are you trying to manipulate? To be in control. Okay, there you go. There you go. To be in control. What else? To be right. To be right. Okay. Okay. Me and my wife have have worked uh, have worked through, especially early on in our marriage for the first probably five years, six years, we would communicate such that like our, our, um, our conversations would turn into debates that then turned into fights because neither of us was willing to back down, right? Neither of us was willing to say, I just want to, I want to be done. I want to reconcile. I'd like to love you um, because we just, we both wanted to be right. And so the communications would just escalate and go higher and higher. That's good. 
not good, but good answer. What else? Yeah. Why do we do that? Why do you think we do that? Because maybe you predict the escalation. Okay. Okay. It's interesting. I think there's a balance there because I think at some point there is a good time to go, hey, we're just hurting one another and we need to stop. But what can tend to happen is because you don't want to enter the awkwardness of a difficult conversation, and you can, fen you, you can feel it coming. You can sense it. You just go, okay, I'm sorry. All right, you're right. You're right. You're right. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, and, and you're trying to just cut it off really quick because you can sense it. And maybe the best thing is to actually enter that conversation. But there's a balance there. The good answer is, well, I'm looking for one more. Maybe a couple more. What about when we use cutting words, words that we know are going to damage somebody? What are we trying to do there? I essentially just said it. We're trying to damage them. But we're trying to hurt them, right? We're, we're trying to be harsh. We're trying to hurt them, maybe in an attempt to prove that we're right, maybe. Maybe in an, in an attempt to just get them to concede, but we're trying to hurt them. The other one that I have here is uh, sometimes we communicate to embarrass people, right? If I could just embarrass you into or, or shaming you into stopping the conversation, to stopping what you're saying back to me, then I feel like I will have won the conversation. When in essence, I didn't. I just shamed you into being done talking. Yeah? Um, the, the thing about those... You know, if we're communicating to our spouse or anybody else and we're doing it to be harsh, to be cutting, to embarrass, no, no teaching technique is actually going to be able to help that. If that's how you choose to communicate, I can't teach you something that's going to solve that. Does that make sense? The gospel is the thing that, that, that solves this for us. But if that's the way that you choose to communicate with one another... No teaching technique is going to solve that for you. I can't, I can tell you, stop, stop doing that. In the, middle, in the middle of that fight, don't do that. But if you continue to do that, you will continue to unravel your marriage. Right? You will continue to unravel the relationship. If you do that with friends, you will find you won't be friends anymore. Right? And the same is true in your marriage. You may still be married to one another, but you don't like one another because you've chosen to communicate harshly with one another. Let's look to Ephesians 4. We're going to look at a. We're going to read through. We're going to read through the entirety of Ephesians four here, if that's okay. I asked the question like I was going to give you a choice. Most of you guys there, Ephesians four. Okay, so we'll start in verse one. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. 
There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So, what do we see in this passage? I know it's a long passage, and we kind of, we almost kind of have like a sandwich here of what I'm talking about. Stuff on the beginning, stuff on the end, possibly some stuff in the middle. But what do we see in this passage about how we should interact with other people, especially our spouse, since that's our context here? Okay, good. Okay. Good. What else? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Why is it vulnerable? I'm going to take it quick. Quick. It's, to the right here. So you're really, like Tim Keller said, you're really letting another stranger see you mm-hmm. the way only maybe even, you might, not, you might not even let God see you like that. That's the way you see yourself. Not just in the mirror, but the way you see yourself. Whatever, you know, at, at the very end of the day, you see yourself. And you're letting another stranger yeah. That's a risky. Really, it's really risky because yeah. they may not like it at first, and they may think you're weird. And yeah. It's like, oh, I don't know that I want to do that to someone else. But yeah. 
think even with regard, even in the, in this conversation, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, and you said lay down your weapons. I think I've said that before, but I'm going to lay down my weapons. I'm going to stop escalating this conversation. It's risky because what if they don't? Right? What if they don't? I don't want to fight anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop and take a break and, and I don't, I don't want to keep escalating the conversation. But what if he or she doesn't? It's risky. I've seen more times in my marriage, though, where that is actually the thing that brings us to a good place. Yeah. But in the moment, you go, wait, I can't, I can't stop because what if, what if she doesn't? You know? She's going to lob a grenade back at me if I just go, okay, I'm done. But what else do we see? Sorry, really quick. James 4 is another good place for that, right? You've got James, James asking there, uh, why do you have quarrels and fights amongst you? Is it not because your passions are at war within you? So he's trying to say, like, your, your, your problems in your marriage aren't your spouse, right? Your problems in your marriage are because you have selfish desires that then war against their selfish desires because they have them as well, right? I want, you're not giving to me, so I'm going to cause problems. The problem in your marriage is not my spouse does this or my spouse doesn't do this. The problem in your marriage is you have selfish desires that war against their selfish desires. So just a good passage for kind of what we're talking about there. What else do we see? What else do we see in Ephesians 4? You can just say the words if you want, kind of at the beginning there. You could say, oh, we should communicate humbly. If you want to, it's okay. Tenderhearted? Good. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. What do you think that means? Speaking the truth in love. Let's unpack it a little bit. Sorry, I put you on the spot, Brock, but anybody else can answer that question, too. It doesn't have to just be you. <laughs> I think it's just kind of putting your selfish desires and yeah. pushing them aside and putting them on back burner and yeah. on what, what, in that point of conflict, what can you do to make it better? Yeah, yeah, good. What else? Speaking the truth in love, how do we do this? Yeah. You don't have to speak truth about that. You can speak truthfully about it in a way that is encouraging. Okay. And that will usually like break something down. Okay. Yeah, I think it, it feels, if, sometimes I think we use the phrase, and here's why I kind of wanted to unpack that a little bit. I think sometimes we use the phrase, speaking the truth in love, kind of like, uh, hey man, no disrespect, but bam! Right? And then we just lay it on them, like, hey, I don't, I don't mean to offend you, but poof, and then I offend you, right? So, hey, I'm going to speak the truth in love, and we do it in a non-gracious way. You know? I think uh, the, the passage, I think, uh, unpacks for us what does speaking the truth in love mean, right? Humility, gentleness, being tenderhearted, uh, being patient, so being kind to one another. I think those, those words, I think, help unpack what does speaking the truth in love mean. It doesn't mean we ignore the truth, 
but we do it in a gracious way. We don't go, hey, I'm going to speak the truth, and it may be true, but I'm going to use it just to bulldoze you. Because a lot of times that's what happens in our marriages. We know the exact thing that will hurt that person, right? You know that person probably better than any other human being does. And so we, we know the things that will cut, and we know the truths that they know are true, but are going to hurt them. So don't communicate that way. Do it with gentleness. Do it with patience, kindness, and gentleness. Um, I think one, one more thing on, on just kind of basics of communication, and then we're going to get into some methods of communication, some sending rules. So when we send information, this is how we should send it. When we receive information, this is how we should receive that information. This is kind of some practical stuff just to help you guys. Uh, but a couple of things. Are, are you for your spouse? And we talked earlier about being a student in response. Are you for them? Are you for their flourishing? There's, there's, there's two different things that become evident in a marriage, and, and, and they're very different. Are you for your own flourishing? Are you for your own selfish desires? Or are you for your spouse's flourishing? Are you for your spouse's desires? If you're for yourself, that's going to come out in a very selfish way. It's going to come out in the way that you communicate and the things that you do, the things you want to spend money on. If you are for your spouse's flourishing, that is going to come out in a, in a very different way in how you communicate. It's probably going to come out in a gentle, patient way. Now, do we do this perfect? No, we, we blur the lines between here. My hope for you guys and my prayer for you guys would challenge you beyond be on the side of your spouse's flourishing, laying your life down for their good and for, and for their flourishing. Uh, here's another one, too. Just, this, is, this is something I've found in my own marriage and in marriages around me. Uh, set times for talking. Set some specific times in your schedule for talking. Um, men, if you're like me, it, it took me a long time to get used to this and even want to put it on the calendar, so... Let's say it's Monday evenings, and this is just our time to kind of sit down, maybe look at our budget. How are we doing on a budget? How are things going? Almost to stay the union weekly. It took me a long time to get there, but a good, but a good time. Um, and I might say this too. Don't set them on date nights. Don't save your date nights for times where you're going to have this all-out battle royale discussion with one another. Um, Date nights should be reserved, and this is going to sound legalistic. I, I don't mean for it to. I think date nights should be reserved for flirting. They should be reserved for laughter, good food, walk in the park, enjoying one another's company. Um, not for those like, hey, we, we haven't had a conversation, a good conversation about something that we need to talk about in three months. Got date night coming up, got the babysitter, and we are, this is if you have kids, we are going to just... Go out and now I, now's my time to talk to him or her. Um, if that is what you're saving, if your date nights are the nights you're saving to do those things, that should tell you something. That you're not having those regular meetings frequently enough to have those conversations. And then the times where you actually are going out to enjoy one another, to flirt and to laugh, you're spending those kind of talking about things that could be good things. They also could be just drag, like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. And then you come to associate date nights with hard conversations. 
Find times in your schedule to have those routine, hard conversations if you need to. Don't save them just for date nights. Please don't do that because I don't want you to come to me in two years going, date nights suck at our house. Um, and, and believe me, it, it can happen. It can happen. Um, communication is something that should be ongoing between you guys. Now, I kind of, I, I haven't, my wife is a verbal processor. I'm a verbal processor. So my wife and I probably actually communicate more than we should, even in front of our children. So be careful about that, especially if both of you are verbal processors. But even if both of you are introverts, both of you are kind of internal processors, please find times where you say, okay, this is, this is our time, we're gonna do it, we're gonna talk here, kind of sit down, if we need to look at a budget, this is our time where we're gonna look at the budget. But find times for those, regardless of whether or not you're a verbal processor or an, or an internal processor, work together to set those times. Because communication should be something that's, that's ongoing, not just at specific times um, in your marriage. So uh, if you've got your sheet for your sending rules, go ahead and flip to that. Um, if, if you want, you can take some notes on it. So again, this is, this is really just a practical section on how do we communicate well with one another? Practically, how do we do it? When we're, when we're the person talking, when we're the person who um, is communicating, who's sending the information to the other person, just some, just some rules to keep in mind and, and maybe some things to stay away from. So first one, uh, so, and if you guys, if you, um, if you want some more clarification or if you have a question about something specific that I say, let me know, stop me. So first one, sending rules, take time to clarify and be specific. So don't hint, say. So let's say this, a um, couple, of, couple of years ago, I really wanted to buy a truck for my family. Could have gone to my wife, uh, I could have gone to my wife and said, hey, what, what, do you think about, what do you think about buying a truck? What, do you, what are your thoughts? Oh, really, that's what you think, oh, okay. What, what, what about this? What about that? I, I, could, I can kind of lead her there. But that's probably not going to work. I'm kind of hinting at what I'm wanting us to do. What if I just said, hey, I, I think it might be a good idea for us to buy a truck. Now, maybe it wasn't, but the, the, the point here is don't hint, say. Um, don't hint at something. That, don't, don't try and pull him or her along, maybe hoping that you can lead them there. That's just frustrating. Say it or ask it. Be kind of upfront about it. So uh, don't guess, ask. Uh, don't generalize, be pointed. So um, if you feel like if you feel like your spouse isn't having enough sex with you, don't complain about the fact that the house isn't very neat. We tend to do this as, as human beings. We're really upset about one thing or really disappointed about one thing, but we take it out on somebody in a different area. Does that make sense? So if, figure out what it is, what, what, is, what is it that's frustrating me and, and be gracious and tenderhearted about that area, not trying to take it out on them in a different area. This tends to happen, um, I think, as you get into parenting, too, it tends to happen in, in parenting as well, where you're really frustrated about something that your kids are doing, and you take it out on them in a different area. It takes some time to do that self-reflection, to go, what am I actually frustrated about? And is it me? Is it something that I need to change? We were talking about this just a second ago. Is it something that I need to change? 
And then you can go to them and be pointed with it and not generalize about something else. Um, never refuse to talk about an issue. So a lot of times there are things in our marriage we just we don't want to talk about. Sex is that sometimes. Money can be that. We're going to talk about those things next week. But there are some times that we go, I just, I just don't want to talk about that. Please don't do that. Talk about our, uh, awkward conversations, odd conversations, uncomfortable conversations. Please talk about them. Uh, never refuse to talk about it. Let me say this, though, as a little caveat. It's okay to take a break. Okay? It's okay to say, hey, I need 15 minutes to, to cool off. I need 15 minutes to go pray. Um, and then let's come back and talk, and talk about it again. So it is okay to say, let's, let's take a time out. Because especially if you find you're just escalating that conversation, you're beginning to say hurtful things to one another because you're at a point where you're irrational, right? And so it's okay to take a break, but never refuse to talk about something. Uh, next one here, share feelings as well as ideas. Um, in other words, integrate yourself with your message. Be self-revealing. Let tones of voice and facial expressions reveal real meanings. So real meaning is not conveyed unless you transmit both ideas and the effect they're having on your heart. For example, you hear someone say, I wish you wouldn't call me that. But does the person mean that he'll divorce you when you do it again or that you'll just be mildly annoyed? Sharing feelings is threatening, especially for men, but it's necessary if communication is to get beyond the cliche level. One of the ways we do this is to provide direct information about your feelings by using I statements, sentences that begin with I, and describes the impact of the other person on the speaker. For example, not you always notice the work that Bill does instead of my work. See how we do that? Like, you always do this or you always do that. It's, um, it's me, like, let's say it's me and my wife, and I'm saying, um, you always call your father-in-law instead of asking me to fix the hot water heater, right? Or you always, you always call your father instead of doing that. I'm not actually trying to tell her something. I'm trying to attack her. Does that, does that make sense? What I should say is, um, hey, I'd really like it if you would call me when we have, like, a plumbing leak. Just call me. Now, nine times out of ten, I'm probably going to call your father. <laughs> but... Uh, and this is something we really had to work through, where because uh, my father-in-law has always lived pretty close to us, and he's a really handy guy. But she would generally just call him, um, and so. But if I say, "Hey, you always call him," it's an attack on her. It's not actually trying to solve the problem there. What I should say is, "Hey, I'd like it if you would just call me and let me let's talk about it together, and then we'll figure out a plan. We'll figure out a plan to do that." So avoid questions that aren't really questions. This is one of my favorite sections. Real questions seek information, and phony, phony questions always seek to control. So here we go with the leading question. This is an attempt to limit or restrict the possible responses of a person. So is uh, an example here. We'll go back to the dad one. Um, isn't it really true that you care more about what your dad thinks than what I think? You see how that question is a leading question? She can't really answer the question because it's, it's not really a question. It's not designed to seek information. It's designed to pointedly tell her something. Does that make sense? It's designed to go, you actually care more about what your dad thinks than what I think. But I'm using it as a form of a question. So avoid leading questions. 
Avoid punishing questions. A punishing question is a question that, um, well, is designed to punish. So let's say you forget an anniversary, right? How could you have forgotten our anniversary again? That's a punishing question. It's not really a question. You're not trying to seek information with it. You're actually just trying to hurt that person. So avoid punishing questions. How many of you guys feel like as I'm talking about these, you're like, I did that yesterday. It's okay. Every time I do this. So I, I, I may have told you the first week, every time I teach this, this class, or every time I've taught our premarital class, I always come away with like a, a light bulb. Like, oh, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing that. I said that yesterday. Or, oh, I've gotten into that, I've gotten into that pattern, and I, need to, and I need to walk away. So I say that just so you're not, you're not despairing out there. Like, it's, it's okay. Um, the command question. So avoid a command question. So this is uh, demanding something in the form of a question. So it might, oh, let's go back to the anniversary. Um, when are you finally going to remember our anniversary? When are you finally going to take me out on a date? Um, essentially, you're saying, I would like for you to do this, but you're doing it in the form of a question that isn't, again, it's not really a question. None of these are questions because you're not trying to seek information. A question is something that's honestly trying to seek information from that other person. So again, avoid command questions. Or another one might be, um, when are you finally gonna stop spending money like that? Again, you're not actually seeking information. You're trying to say, stop spending money like that. And maybe that's not the good way to say it either. But um, in, in your form of your question, that's actually what you're doing. A good way to go, hey, I, I'm really concerned about the way that you're spending money. You seem to be spending it frivolously. Can we talk about it? Can we talk about that? Because I'd, like I'd like to help you dig to the root issue of what's going on there. So uh, speak with respect for the listener. So avoid the following attacks or scorning techniques. Because, again, these aren't questions. Avoid dragging in the past. We're really good. Human beings are so good at this. Right? I'm going to hold on. You said that? Okay. I'm going to hold on to that. And then two months later, in a conversation, I'm, take that. You said that. Remember that time? We, we love dragging in the past. Why? Why do we like dragging in the past? What does it allow us to do? What? Win. Good. What else? Explain that. Like, if we can point out someone else's flaws, then we won't forgive them or like, bring them up because we Makes us feel better about ourselves. Yeah, 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 that's good. Yeah, yeah. Explain that a little bit more. I agree with you. But. Okay. Yeah, okay. 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 I can't help but think, though, that's an attempt to go, now I've got one up on you. We're not actually equal. I've got one up on you. Right? Because I don't think in our, in, our, uh, in our best moments, in our Jesus-like moments, I think we're, we're like that. In our sinful moments, we want, we want to be one up. We want to leg up on that person. I think all of these have this root of bitterness that's there, right? If I, if I am going to drag something from the past, 
I think there has to be an element of bitterness that's just been festering there to go, yeah, I'm going to hold on to that one. I'm going to hold on to that. Right? Uh, avoid, so avoid making criticisms without any proposals of alternatives. Avoid exaggerating the other person's position. So um, one of the ways this happened, um, I don't like to use my wife's negatives a whole lot, but this, this, is, this is the best one, and, it's, and I've heard it in so many other instances as well, so I'll, I'll use it. Um, so exaggerating a position might be early on in our marriage, if I said, hey, I think whatever dish this is needs more salt. And then she goes, so you're saying I'm a bad cook? That's exaggerating the other person's position. Um, and I say that because so I've heard so many like wives are just doing all of this work in the kitchen, and then they feel like that meal is not appreciated. That's not what I said. I just said, hey, I think next time this could use some more salt. So you're saying I'm a bad so you're saying about the other way that I feel this is um, with regards to parenting. I tend to feel it a lot. So my my wife might say, "Hey, you you said this to our son. I think you might have hurt his feelings." My initial place that I go is, "Oh crap, I'm a bad dad." Does that make sense? That isn't what she's saying. She wants to help me not be harsh with my son. But what I'm what I'm hearing, what I'm importing is, you think I'm a bad dad. So avoid exaggerating the other person's position. Uh, avoid counter-accusations. So this is someone is trying to reveal, help us to see something about ourselves, and then we go, well, you're not good at that either. I'm ignoring the actual reflection that I should be doing, right? That self-reflection that I should be doing, that my spouse is trying to help me walk through or, or walk to. And I'm saying, well... It's, an, it's kind of an attempt to, sh to shield or to mirror, like, well, don't, let's stop looking at me. Let's, you're not good at it either. So avoid doing that. Uh, avoid, avoid attacking the person and not the problem. So this, I think, goes back, Matt, to what you were saying earlier. This divide, it creates this divide, right? Um, like, you are this, right? Um, you're so thoughtless. Um, so essentially, avoid um, a, a generalization of them. You are this. Avoid that. So um, one of these might be, let's say, uh, let's say you, forget, you forget a kid's birthday, and your wife could say, you're so thoughtless. better way to say it would be, how can I help you remember these things? How can I help you remember the kids' birthdays? How can I help you remember anniversaries? then you're not seeking to attack, you're not seeking to generalize, you're actually seeking to help, which is what we went back to at the very beginning of this talk with become a student of your spouse. Your, your job is, um, your, your role is to help them become more and more like Jesus. How do you do it? How do you help walk them to it? So how can I help you remember the kids' birthdays? A couple of things here, kind of real fast. Avoid getting harsh, loud, sarcastic, or dramatic. So one of the ways that uh, when I get really worked up, um, my body language, and men, hear this, please, because some of you, I'm sure, in this room are going to suffer with this. My body language just gets big. It scares my wife. So the, one of the things that she's told me over and over for 13 years is, you're scaring me right now. Because my, um, 
My, and my dad was like that. My grandfather was like that. And I own it. It's my own junk. But I, my voice tends to get louder. It gets more animated. And my body just becomes bigger. Because I'm trying to win most of the time when I do that. That's what I found about myself anyway. I'm trying to win and I want her to back down. And so I'm, everything about me is becoming bigger and at the same time is becoming scarier. So that's something I've had to work on. Uh, avoid using gunpowder words. Gunpowder words, I don't think there's like a list of gunpowder words that's like, hey, avoid all of these words. But talk with your spouse. What are words they just don't like? What are words they just don't like being called? Maybe in an argument, curse words are out the window. You don't use them. Maybe curse words are okay. We can talk about what you think about curse words afterward. But maybe curse words are okay in everyday language within your marriage. But maybe in a fight, you don't have it. Because it just it creates this animosity between the two of you. I don't like the word jerk. I don't like being called a jerk. My wife has kind of learned that about me. She just doesn't use that word. So what, what are words like that? And that's, that's just going to be kind of in conversation between the two of you. What are words that create this divide between you? What are words that create animosity between you? And please avoid those words. Because, again, that's, you're going to know that about them. Don't use that word to cut and hurt. Right? You're going to know it. Please stay away from it. Um, my favorite one here. Avoid using the phrases you always and you never. Because they're not true. It's not true. You always, you always forget this. You never remember this. You're always like this. You never give me a hug. Um, and, and, and we can get a lot worse than that, can't we? Than beyond just, you never give me a hug. We can get a lot more damaging to one another. But please avoid those words, because they're not true. Even, even in the worst marriage, um, they're probably not true. So, um, avoid using those words. We tend to use them really, really quickly, and they're just gross overgeneralizations. I'm probably one of the worst people that I know at doing this. So hear me not as a person who has it together and is not using those words, but, but please don't use those words because they hurt. Um, and then lastly on those sending rules, check your message with the listener routinely. Do, you under, do they understand what you mean? Do they understand what you're saying? Do they understand kind of what you're trying to convey? If you're not, come at it from a different way. Come at it from a different angle. Um, and sometimes this takes two or three different angles to come at it. Does that make sense? So figure out, like, are, are you understanding what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Even if you don't agree with it, does it make sense? So on to receiving rules now. Receiving rules. So again, this is um, the person who's doing the listening, who's receiving the information. So concentrate on the present conversation. Um, do not muse on what you're going to say next. How many people struggle with that in here? I do, totally. I do. <laughs> and most of the time I find it's, it's because I want to win the conversation, right? So I'm going, uh-huh, uh-huh, I'm going to destroy you. Uh-huh, uh-huh, oh yeah? I got something for that. Uh-huh. But I'm not, list I'm not actually listening to what my wife is saying. I'm, I'm trying to think of the next best thing that I'm going to use to destroy her argument. That's horrible. It's a really bad, bad thing. Um, the other thing here is don't, don't interrupt. Don't interrupt. Let them get out their full message, and then you can kind of respond to it. 
Um, but listen to it. Let them get everything out and don't, and don't respond to it. Um, don't simply wait for your turn to say what's said. I think this is one of the hardest things to do is to actually listen to what that person is, to what that person is saying. Listen to what your spouse is saying and then actually respond to what, you're, to what they're saying. Uh, give eye contact and attention. So look at nonverbal cues in order to get the meaning. One of the, uh, this is one of my favorites too. Register acceptance and understanding to encourage the person to get out their whole message. One of the most unnerving things, and I prob- I'm, I'm 100% sure that I do this to people, even though it's so unnerving to me. Let's say Keith is talking to me. Keith, it is Keith, right? Cool. I just said your name. I was like, maybe it's not Keith. <laughs> Let's say Keith is trying to say something to me, and I'm just kind of staring past him like this. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Or let's say even worse, I'm just doing this. <laughs> it's so unnerving, isn't it? <laughs> um, I tend to probably do not enough eye contact with people, but it's so unnerving to me when you get the person that just stares at you because it's like, I don't know if you're listening. I don't know if you want to try and kill me. I don't, I don't know what you're going to do next. I have no clue if you're actually registering what I'm saying. Silence is not, it's just something that is, uh, silence in a conversation anyway, is just something that's unnerving about it, right? If, if Mike Land's talking to me and I'm, like, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not going, uh-huh, okay, yeah, yeah. I'm, it, it seems like I'm not actually, if I'm just silent, it, 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 you, you're probably going, is any of this actually sinking in, right? Um, so don't, Again, register acceptance and, and don't be silent. Give them some, non, some verbal communication and maybe even like a head nod, some nonverbal communication. So, and then let, uh, next one here. Uh, slow your evaluation and your conclusions. So, do not apologize quickly. This is kind of one of those things going back to wanting to stop a conversation short. So, apologizing too quickly. Is he right? You're right, you're right. It's my fault, it's my fault, it's my fault. Um, I think there's two things you're doing there. One, shutting the conversation down before it gets started. And I've noticed about my own self, when I go, yeah, 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 it's my fault, my fault, my fault. What I'm actually saying is, I don't actually believe it's my fault. Right? Don't you, don't you, don't you feel that when people say that, when they go, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever, it's my fault, it's my fault. They're going, you got it wrong. And then they're walking away, right? Like, you're not actually, you're not actually saying that it's your fault, so I think you're trying to end a conversation too shortly, and you're trying to go, yeah, yeah you messed up. Uh, do not advise quickly. I'm bad at this, too. So my wife comes to me, uh, maybe with something at the school that she's at, and she has a conversation with somebody there, and it didn't go really well, and then she'll come tell me about the conversation. And instead of listening, I'm, I'm actually already formulating in my head what I'm going to tell her, what I'm going to advise her to do so, one, I'm not actually listening, and then two, when she gets done, I just go, "This is what you should have done. Should have done this, or you should have said this, or next time that comes up, you should you should just say this." I'm advising her right away. One of the things I've gotten to is um, or, that I've learned with the Lord's help is listening, and then at the end of her talking, going, "Do you want?" Do you want to talk about it any further? Do you want any advice on it? Um, or do you just want me to listen? It's okay. If you just want me to listen, that's okay too. 
Um, so I, that's something that we've found just has been helpful for us. Um, again, listening. I'm not formulating that, that advice in my head. I'm actually listening, and then at the end I'm going, is this something that you, that you want counsel on? Is this something that you want advice on? Um, I may not have any, but we can kind of talk further about it. So don't advise too quickly. Don't explain quickly. So this might be, uh, the whole reason I said this was blah, 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 blah. Right? So don't try and explain it away too quickly. Don't try and analyze quickly. So what you really mean is this. Right? I know this is what you're saying, but what you really mean is this. Don't scorn. Uh, so someone says something, someone comes up to you and it's like, man, I'm just, I'm having a bad day. X, Y, and Z happened to me today. And I'm just in a bad mood. And you go, man, that's silly. Why would you feel like that? That's just silly. That's stupid. Should, that, that should never depress you like it's depressing you. That's kind of like a scorn. Um, and then an attack. This is probably one of the worst things that we, that we do is, um, let's say Keith and I are in a conversation, and he says, uh, Jason, you're just being a jerk to me. See what I did there? That gunpowder word? Jason, you're just being a jerk to me. I go, that's not true! I didn't do that! That's, that's an attack, right? Like immediately, I'm just, I'm not trying to enter the conversation with him. I'm trying to just shut you down. I'm trying to crush what you're trying to say about me. Instead of going, man, I'm so sorry. How did I do that? What was the, what did I say? What did I say that did that? Um, so jumping and attacking, going, that's not true. Um, and then I might even go, man, that's not true. You actually said the same thing to me last week. Right? So I'm attacking. So I'm actually like, trying to crush you and then trying to go, oh, yeah, you did it to me as well, instead of self-reflection. You see, we keep going back to this word self-reflection, right? Your spouse is someone who's, who, who God has, according to Genesis, fashioned into, if it's a wife, she's fashioned into a helper. And husbands, I might also say, don't think of yourselves outside of the realm of being a helper of your wife. It may have said that about Scripture. It may have said, um, Scripture may have said, she was fashioned as a helper for him. You're, you are also coming alongside as a helper. So don't, don't, don't think of yourselves outside of those terms. But um, the two of you, God has fashioned to help sharpen one another as iron sharpens, as iron, sharpens iron. And so if your spouse is coming to you saying, hey, this frustrates me. I wish, it, I wish it didn't, but it frustrates me. Can we talk about it? Enter into the conversation. Do you want to grow? Do you want to become more like Jesus? If you do, seek that self-reflection that your spouse is coming to you with to help you. Okay? Uh, okay. Avoid mind reading. So we can never really know the state of a mind. We can never really know the attitudes, thoughts, and feelings of other people. This is why conversation is so important. Right? We need to have those conversations so we can figure out what's going on there. What is the, what is the, don't take guesses at what the root idol is behind somebody's actions. Enter the conversation with them, right? Help them, help them, come alongside them and help them mine what is going on, what's going on there. Why do I, why did I do that? Why did I say that? But avoid mind reading and avoid guessing it. Uh, we depend on signals frequently ambiguous to inform us about the attitudes and wishes of others. The problem here again with mind reading is, we use our own decoding system, right? We have our own lens through which we see things. And a lot of times our lens isn't correct about people, especially those who are closest to us. 
depending on your own state of mind at a particular time, we may be biased in our method of interpreting other people's behaviors. Let's say I actually do think my wife is, is the problem in our marriage. When she does something, and then that's my lens through which I'm seeing things is, yep, there she goes again. There she is doing that again. There she is saying that again, trying to make my life horrible. One, I've already, I've already, my lens is messed up because I'm looking at her as the problem. And then I'm, I'm actually seeing things that reinforce that. Does that make sense? So, the, and the degree to which we believe we're correct in discerning another person's motives is not related to the actual accuracy of our belief. So just because we think we know what they're saying or doing, just because we think we know why, doesn't necessarily mean that we actually know why. Okay, let's see what we got here, how much time we got. Oh, we're like right at the break time. Okay, um, last thing, because it's probably perhaps the most important thing we're going to talk about. Um, Forgiveness. What do we do with forgiveness? Because you will inevitably say something to your spouse that's going to cut them, it's going to hurt them. Right? You will inevitably um, do something that's going to be harsh. Um, you'll say something that's going to be mean. What do we do? We forgive. Right? Right? I don't have as much time to spend on this as I wanted to, but um, think about maybe over this next week, um, at the end of um, Matthew. Yeah? Yeah. So uh, you've got, uh, Peter's just denied Jesus three times, right? At his trial. He's just denied Jesus three times. The first meeting that Peter has that we see in Scripture afterward is at the lakeside, right? He's out in the boat. Jesus is on the lakeshore. They come aboard. They, 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 they haven't caught anything. Jesus says, throw it over on the other side. They pull up this massive fish, and all of a sudden they go, it's the Lord, Right? <clears throat> Jesus doesn't go, Peter, my man, remember that time you denied me? What does he have going? You remember the passage? What, what does he have going there on the, on the lakeside? He's got charcoal fire going, right? Charcoal fire. What does Peter deny him around? Charcoal fire. What's Jesus doing? One of the things he's doing is he's trying to give Peter a new association with charcoal fire. He's forgiving him. Right? He's trying to reshape for, G, for, for Peter. Like he's trying to give him a new memory around charcoal fire. That's not insignificant in that passage. And then the second thing we see there is we see uh, acceptance, we see forgiveness, and then we see commissioning in that passage. Right? So not only is he forgiven, but he's accepted. And not only is he accepted by Jesus, Jesus says, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Go. Go do this. So we see acceptance. We see forgiveness. We see acceptance. We see commissioning. This is our, this is what we should do. Um, He's for Peter's flourishing, right? This is what we should do for our spouse. This is what we are called to do because of the example that we have set for us. That's not always easy, but it is good. That's not the easiest thing to do, but it is good. And you'll find the more you do it, it's like a muscle. The more you do it, the easier it does become. Because you're actually being changed. 
you're actually being transformed. The more that you exercise that muscle, the more you're becoming like Christ, who's our example, who did it. And you find that you want to do that more and more. You want to seek the holiness of your spouse more and more. You want to seek that even more than you want to seek your own selfish desires because you're being changed. So um, I'm going to give you, I'll give you a five-minute break, and then we'll come back, give you about 10 or 15 minutes of discussion time, and then we'll spend whatever time we have left with a Q&A. Good? Good. Okay, you guys, let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and wrap up. Let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll get you guys out of here. Um, Lord, I, I pray for uh, each and every marriage in this room or, or future marriage in this room. Lord, I pray that uh, the, the routine of these marriages would be um, to communicate well, um, to love and to serve one another as they are communicating. Lord, I pray that the routine when they are not doing that would be one of forgiveness. I pray, Lord, that you would keep them from holding on to bitterness, keep them from holding on to um, ill feelings toward their spouse, remind them of the gospel quickly. Um, Lord, may, um, may they know that um, you are good, the gospel is good, and you're a good father uh, who, who delights in us. So when times are tough in their marriage where they remember you're a God who delights in us, as we're told in Zephaniah. And so, um, Lord, may they remember that. Uh, may you bless, bless, bless these marriages that are represented in this room so that they communicate well and forgive one another when they don't. It's in your holy and mighty name we pray. Amen.